Amen. Please remain standing, if you would, for the reading of the Scripture today. It comes out of uh, the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, and then verses 17 through 19. It's found on page 841 of your Pew Bibles. If you would like to read along in the Pew Bible there in front of you, or uh, you're invited to follow along in your own Bible as well, Tiffany is here uh, to read us our scripture this morning. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Oh God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life that we might be people of life. Now God, hide me behind your cross that that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So as you are being seated, if you would take out your wallet or your purse or wherever you keep your money, and I want you to uh, pull, out a, uh, pull out a $1 bill if, if you have one, uh, or a $5 bill or $20 bill, or if you don't have any cash with you, pull out, pull out a credit card, whatever it is, whatever it is that represents, or charge card, whatever it is that represents money that represents money to you. And I, w- I, want, you to, I want you to take a look at the, if, you're, if you have, a, if you have a, a paper money, I want you to take a look at that, at that dollar bill. Um, those that are um, uh, the counterfeiters, they don't, they don't counterfeit $1 bills. <laughs> Did you, have you ever thought about that? There, there's no, I mean, they recognize that uh, the, what this is printed on, I mean, this isn't, this isn't worth much. But it costs a lot to be able to, to counterfeit it. Uh, the, now with, uh, with high technology and uh, printers uh, highly available, uh, there are a number of things that they have, that they have uh, the government has put into printing paper money. And especially, it's maybe not so much so the $1 bill, but in even the $5 bill, but you get into the $20 bills and the $50 bills and the especially $100 bills, um, counterfeiters have spent a lot of money because they recognize that um, you can make some money counterfeiting this. And, and so they, some of the ink is very, very difficult to get a hold of. And especially, you know, you know what's the, one of the biggest problems with counterfeiting money, uh, the, according to counterfeiters, is finding the paper. It's the paper. I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever felt a counterfeit bill. They feel differently than regular money. So I want you to think about that dollar bill that you have there in your hand. 
And I want you to think about uh, where all it has been. Uh, kind of makes me not want to touch it all that much. Uh, but think about, think about where it's been. I mean, the $1 bill has, is probably, I mean, it, it obviously it originated somewhere. I mean, it came, it came into circulation through a bank more, more than likely, maybe uh, from an ATM machine, but some sort of, of bank. And then it was probably spent at a store. I mean, it, it, may, have, it may have taken someone on their, on their first date uh, to the dollar movie, or uh, it may have it may have been on a coke date with someone. It it may have it may have it may have uh, been used to, to buy a pair of shoes for someone. It may have. I mean, it's it really is astounding when you think about when you think about where where our money has been, and now and now this. I mean, these bills have found their, their way into a church. You you may have you may have heard this story about about the man who. A uh, very, very wealthy uh, man who was on his deathbed, and and uh, the archangel Michael came to uh, came to sweep him up into into heaven, and and uh, the uh, and Michael the archangel was there beside his bed, and 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 the man said, "Well, I I mean, just just a moment, I need to gather up all my stuff." And the archangel said, "No, no, 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 you don't understand. You can't take anything with you when you go." He said, "Oh, but I mean, I." I have so much. I'm I'm so wealthy. Surely, surely I can I can take some of it some of it with me. Surely I can take some of it with me. And uh, the Michael, the archangel, said, "Well, uh, j- just a moment. Let let me go check." And and in the in the blink of an eye, he was gone. And Michael had found his way to uh, to Saint Peter Peter at the pearly gates. And he he asked Saint Peter. He said, "Hey, I have a client here that uh, is wanting to bring a bunch of stuff with him. What what do we need to do?" And surprisingly, St. Peter said, well, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll let this one, we'll, we'll, we'll see what he has. We'll, we'll, let him, we'll let him come on up with, with his stuff. And so Michael went back down to the, to the man's deathbed. And, and so um, he said, well, surprisingly, surprisingly, uh, St. Peter said, you can bring some stuff. He said, great, just give me a, give, give me a bit in order, in order to put all, put all my affairs in order. And so the man, uh, he, he, I mean, he, he had his family cash out all of his stocks and all of his bonds, and he put them into, into, into bricks of gold. He was, he was convinced that would be the, the easiest way to put everything together was in bricks of gold. So he put all of the bricks of gold in a duffel bag, and so he was, he was ready when his, when his time came. And sure enough, he died, and he was able to, uh, to drag that, that very, very heavy, large duffel bag, bricks of gold, uh, wait, waiting there to the, uh, to the pearly gates in front of St. Peter. And so he came to St. Peter, and St. Peter said, oh, you're the man who wanted to bring his, his, stuff, uh, his, his stuff with you. Oh, okay, okay, well, let's open up your bag, and let's see what you've got. And so the, the man opened his bag and very proudly was displaying his bricks of gold, and St. Peter looked at him and said, what, you brought paving stones? What? I, I don't quite understand. See, see, the things that we think are so very valuable in this lifetime have absolutely no value in the coming lifetime. And, and that's what Paul says. That's what Paul says here in our passage of, of Scripture. So we're continuing our sermon series dealing with these words, these simple rules of John Wesley to, to, to earn all you can to save all you can, and then to, to finally give all you can, to give all you can. This was, these were Wesley's words to those early Methodists. In fact, it was 
uh, in one of his 52 sermons that he gave the early Methodist, uh, those standard sermons, one of them was on the use of money. And that that was how he outlined it. He said, we as devoted Christians must be committed to, to earning all we can. And we've looked at that. We must be committed to saving all we can. And we've looked at that. And so today we're looking at at giving, at giving all we can. Now, I want to, I'm, I'm going to be very honest. I'm going to be very honest today. I, I feel like I always kind of am honest, maybe brutally honest. I apologize for that sometimes. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be honest today. I, I hate fundraisers. Absolutely hate fundraisers. In fact, the staff knows this. Um, uh, they, they are given the thumbs up. Uh, in my first church that I, that I pastored, they had, a, they had a monthly fundraiser when I showed up at that church. They had, the, the church had no money. They had, um, they had a, a, a pretty sizable mortgage for them. Uh, again, the ch- that church was founded at a, at a really difficult time. They, um, they got their building built in 1982 in Woodward, Oklahoma. If you know what was going on around 1982 or 1983, you know that the oil bust occurred in Woodward, Oklahoma. And so in 1983, uh, their, their budget was, I think their budget was about $400,000, and they brought in less than $150,000. For the first 10 years of their church mortgage, they had just built a church. They, t- they paid 18% interest on that church mortgage. And so the church didn't have any money. The church was almost 20 years old when I, when I showed up, and they had done some refinancing, but they still were under this illusion that they didn't have any money, and so they had a fundraiser a month. Every single month, they had a fundraiser as a church. And, and so every Valentine's Day, the church members would come together, and they would, they would sell uh, balloons and, and flowers on on Valentine's Day, they, they, and they, every single month they had a they had a fundraiser, and I absolutely, I absolutely hate fundraisers in church because uh, because it's treating the the financial issues of the church like a financial issue, and the financial issues in churches are never financial issues; they are always deeply spiritual issues. And so, in my time, uh, in my six years in that church, we we put a stop to the fundraisers in that church, and we began to really begin to tackle the, the, the spiritual issues that were going on in that church. And, and I'm proud to say when I, when I left six years later, they still weren't having fundraisers, but they had a, an excess of, of money at the end of the year. In fact, they started encouraging me, Pastor, we've got to quit saving this money. We've, we've got to start giving this money away that we have I mean, they, they thought it was sinful for them, for them to have three or $4,000 in their church's checking account. They said, we absolutely can't keep our, our checking balance more than three or $4,000. We're not intended to be a bank, Pastor. I mean, it was such a blessing for me to, to see how, 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 how they began to realize that, that the financial issues in the church are not financial issues at all. They are deeply, deeply spiritual issues. I find it fascinating. I find it fascinating that... Um, so we have, we have three letters from Paul to young pastors, uh, two to Timothy and, and one to Titus. And especially in 1 Timothy, Paul is telling this young pastor, he's the pastor of Ephesus. Ephesus was a, was a very, very important uh, early church. And this young pastor, probably around the age of, 
uh, between 18 and 20 years old. Timothy was the pastor of that church. And so Paul gives him instructions here in 1 Timothy of how to, how to organize the church. These are, these are the qualities that you need in a, in, in a pastor. These are the qualities you, you, that you need in, a, in an overseer or a bishop. These, the, these are the ways that you need to organize the church. And here Paul takes a number of, of paragraphs here and tells uh, Timothy how to handle the finances in the life of the church. Again, you've heard me say that Jesus spoke about finances and money and possessions more than he spoke about anything, and Paul mirrors that here in this letter to Timothy. I mean, if I'm, if I'm starting a church, I'm thinking probably money's going to be way on down the list, but I mean, I'm not sure I get, it, get, get to the money issue in my first letter, but Paul did. Because he recognized, he recognized that, that the use of money in the, the life of the church is so vitally important to what the church is to be about. Because, because uh, Paul understood and we must understand that we are simply stewards of what God has entrusted to us. We are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. Again, financial issues in the church are deeply, deeply spiritual. And I think the Bible talks talks about money and possessions. I mean, it, it doesn't approach it from the viewpoint of, of, of a fundraiser in the life of the church. I mean, I, I think the Bible talks about something that is, that is far deeper, and uh, uh, the Bible talks about contentment, and, and here in our passage, Paul talks about contentment, and he talks about good deeds, and he, and he talks about generosity and, 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 and a willingness to share what, what, we, what we have. So, so when we talk about giving in the life of the church, what exactly are we, what exactly are we talking about? I know that we have some folks who have been around for a long, long time, and, and you know all of this stuff. We have some other folks that, that, are, that are newer to church, and you really haven't thought through about... So whenever, whenever we talk about giving in the life of the church, what are we talking about? Well, first, we're talking about uh, tithe. Um, the term tithe is, a, is an old word, and it literally means... 10%. That, that's what a tithe was in the, in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, in all of the, in all of the festivals, and, and, and the, I mean, there's lots of, you read through the Old Testament, there's all kinds of festivals, and in almost every one of these festivals, the people were to bring a tithe of what, of what their crops had just produced, or a tithe of, of this that they had just experienced, or a, a tithe of this that they, that they had just experienced. The biblical mandate throughout the Old Testament, and we believe into the New Testament, is a tithe, is a tithe. We are, I, I think that is, that's not the end goal. I think that's the beginning. The beginning point is the tithe. Now, let me say, I know that not everyone is, uh, is practicing tithing, meaning not everyone is giving 10% of their income to the life of the church. How do I know that? Well, because studies have been performed, and we know exactly how much the average United Methodist gives to their local United Methodist church. We are, as, as a denomination, we are second from the last in giving to the life of our local church. On average, again, this is across all United Methodists. All United Methodists give, on average, less than 3% of their income uh, to, uh, to, their, to their local church. We, we did beat the Episcopalian, so we're excited about that. Uh, but there are a number of other denominations that are well that are well ahead of us, and so I recognize that that most of us are not yet at at ten percent. And so if you're 
if you're starting out, uh, what I would encourage you, whatever you have currently been giving or typically give, uh, think about increasing that by a percentage point next year. And then that's how you grow into a tithe. It's, it's, it's one of the ways that, um, that I have seen lots of folks that they start out at 2 or 3% and then they, they bump it up by into, into the 4 or 5% range and then they just begin to increase that by a percentage point every year until, until they get to 10%. Others of you are already at 10% and, and others of you are giving more, more than 10%. So over the years, people have asked me, how do, how do, you, how do you figure that 10%? I've had some people say, well, is that, is that take-home pay? Is that, your, is that your paycheck that you receive? Is that, is that gross pay? Is that net pay? I'll tell you how, I'll tell you how uh, our, family, our family does it. So we start with our gross family income. This is how we do it. We start with our gross income, my gross income and my wife's gross income. And then we, uh, re- we reduce that amount by our Social Security uh, and uh, how much we're, we're putting personally in. Uh, Social Security is taken out of our paycheck. And then anything that we're also putting into our retirement funds. And here's the reason that we reduce the amount by those two amounts is because whenever one of these days, Lord willing, when we retire and we are living off of our Social Security and our retirement funds, we want to be able to tithe off of that and our income off of that. And so we're not going to tithe on that yet. We'll get to that later. And by the way, uh, that, that will have grown, Lord willing, again, that will have grown between, between now and when we retire. And so then, so again, we, we take our gross income, reduce that by the, by the amount of Social Security that we put in, and then reduce that by the amount of, of, of uh, retirement that we put in, retirement funds that we put in. And then out of that bottom line, then we take 10%. It's pretty easy, pretty easy to do. So, so that's, uh, that's kind of some nuts and bolts about, about how, how, we, how we do, how we do um, a tithe. So there in your bulletin, and some of you received these as well in the mail this week, there in your bulletin you'll find a, a, um, a, a commitment card, a, um, a commitment card for next year, financial giving for next year. So again, over the years, some people have asked me, why in the world do we do, we do this? Um, I've been in churches that did not have commitment cards. They didn't do that at all. Uh, and so I've seen some, some of the benefits of not having them, but I've also seen more benefits of having them. A couple of things that, um, the couple of things that uh, filling out a commitment card does. One is that, uh, is that it, it makes it easier for us to com- keep our commitments to the life of the church. I've been in churches that we did not fill out a commitment card, and what we found as a family is it was much more difficult to tithe and to keep our 10% commitment because um, we hadn't really signed anything, and we hadn't really told anybody what we were planning to do, and, and typically, we hadn't even really been forced to talk about it as a family either. We were just kind of, that was just kind of our goal, and then we would kind of give whenever... Um, well, whenever we could and whenever it was convenient. And what we found is that it's never convenient to give money away. It just isn't. I mean, there's, there's, always, there's always something waiting there. There's always a medical bill or there's always a flat tire or there's, there's always something going on uh, at, at the house that needs to be repaired. There's never a convenient time uh, to give our money away. 
So when we, when we put an amount here, it means that we've probably, hopefully, you've talked about it with your family, and hopefully you've prayed over it. And, I mean, when you, there's, something, there's something that happens when we write down that number as well. It makes it much, it makes it much easier to give. We found, uh, national studies have shown, that those who fill out a commitment card on average give three times more than those who don't fill out a commitment card. The second thing that it does is that it simply allows the church to plan for the future. And so here over the next month or so, we're going to be coming together and we're going to... Um, by the way, there's only two people that see these cards. Uh, one is me and one is our finance secretary. And we, uh, we, have, I mean, we have pledged to, uh, to confidentiality. No one else will, will know. In fact, um, really, I'm the only one that, that, really, that really does see the commitment cards. Uh, I, just give, I just give our finance secretary some totals. She enters, in, she enters those into the computer. She never looks at them again, and I'll only look at them really one time as I'm compiling all of the, all of the financial records. And so at, over the next couple of, month, or couple of weeks then, we're going to be looking at what our expected income is, and then with that expected income, then we're going to plan for the coming year. And so when, when folks give these cards or turn in these completed cards, then that lets us to, to figure out, okay, are we going to be able to, we're going to, be able to hire more staff or uh, where are some areas that we may have to cut back on because we're not going to have quite as much income again. Again, you all, I mean, the, the, the body of the church tells us exactly what kind of ministries that we're going to have for the coming year. And some of that is through our, our financial commitment. So there's just some practical, practical things that... Um, practical things dealing with these these commitment cards. So here, uh, after the after I'm after our, our message today, uh, during our time of invi- or song of invitation, you're going to be invited to come and and simply, if you want to come as a family, you're invited to do that. Or if you just want to come as an individual, come and and drop your commitment card here. We've got a sm- small box over here, and you're also invited to come and spend a few moments in prayer. As well, because again, I think that this is a deeply, deeply spiritual thing that we're that we're dealing with. So, so why why do we give in? Why do we give to the church? Why does John Wesley tell us to give all that we can? And when I mean, we kind of understand why Wesley said to earn all we can. He he wasn't one that wanted people to to waste their time away. Uh, he was very thrifty as well, and so we can understand why why he wanted people to to save all all that we can. But why in the world are we called to to give all that we can? Why? Why is that? Well, there are a number of different reasons. One, one we have found and we know that when we give to the life of the church, it helps others. It helps others. Over the last 12 months, and I just looked at it this morning just to, to make sure all of these figures were right. Uh, over the last 12 months, First Church has given away $95,000 that have gone to help support the poor in our community and around the world. $95,000. And that's out of a $750,000 budget. We are more than tithing our budget to go to help the poor in, again, 
here in the downtown area through our Friday Night Alive ministry or um, through uh, other, other United Methodist ministries in the area uh, and even around the world. And that also does not include any of the money that we're, that we're giving to our missionaries. We're, I'm not including that money. And that's another around $30,000 or, or so. This is money that is directly given uh, to help care for the poor in our community and and around the world. And so when we give into the life of the church, it simply helps others. I, I don't know if you saw this recently. I, I saw a Facebook uh, post that had the, uh, a lot of nonprofits listed. And I was, I don't know if you've seen that about some nonprofits that they encourage folks maybe not to give to because of the, of the, of the low uh, percentage that actually goes to help other people. Uh, and really, if you, if you can look up that information, it really is astounding, absolutely is astounding. I want you to also know that whenever, we, whenever the church supports a ministry, we have vetted that ministry. We know exactly where, where they're giving their money to. We know I mean, we, we, we as a church do not support those ministries whose, whose beliefs and whose vision and, and mission does not align with the vision and mission of First Church. We just don't do it. We've made that decision, and so we we give to ministries that 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 we are. I mean, we're very similar to, and we have the same kind of, of passion. And so, when you give into the life of the church, know that you are that you are helping others. It, it also, whenever we give, whenever we give all we can, it expresses who God is and who we are. So, whenever we put our money into the offering plate, it expresses who God is. What it tells us is that this is God's money. The, the psalm says that, that, that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He already owns all of it. It is, it is his, it is his, it is his money. It is his money. And it also tells us who we are. We are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. We have some, uh, some wonderful friends in Enid that have a home in Angel Fire. Uh, they, they own this home with six other couples, and um, th- you know, so they just kind of share it among all of the families. And from time to time, uh, our, our, our friends will call us and say, Hey, Angel Fire uh, house is open. You guys, you guys want to you guys want to go use it? And so every once in a while, we'll take off for a couple of days and go and go stay in Angel Fire. The first time that we did it was in, in the wintertime, and it happened to be when our kids were out of school. And so we went up there and went snow skiing, and it was awesome. I, I, had, I hadn't seen the house. I hadn't seen um, what kind of house it was. I wasn't, wasn't exactly sure what kind of house it was. It was a nice house. A very nice house. At that time, it was probably the nicest house we had ever stayed in. And we spent, uh, I think, three days uh, staying there at, at, that, at that beautiful home. So, so when we were staying in someone else's home, do you think that we cared for it appropriately? I mean, do you think we, you know, we didn't take the trash out and uh, we broke a few dishes and we were fine with that? No. No, we made sure that that, that we, I mean, our kids were young at that time. We made sure that they didn't run in the house. We made sure that they didn't, they didn't wear their shoes in the house. We made sure, I mean, we just, we left it in better condition than, when, than even when we found it. I mean, that's what being a steward is. We were using someone else's stuff. 
And friends, that's what life is. We are using someone else's stuff. The stuff that we have is God's. And we are called to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. So when we give of our resources into the church, it tells us who God is and it tells us who we are as, as well. And then finally, what we find is when we, give, when we give to the church, it absolutely blesses our souls and, and our lives and our quality of being. There is, there is joy that comes in giving. Paul here says that the root of all kinds of evil is the love of money, but there is, there's joy that comes in contentment. There's joy with, with, giving, with giving away things. It is more blessed to what? Give than to receive. It rings true in our own lives, doesn't it? It is such a blessing. It is such a blessing to give to others, to give away what we, what we have. So John Wesley talked about, again, Wesley talked about giving, or excuse me, earning and saving and giving all you need, uh, all you can throughout much of his ministry as he neared the end of his life in, um, when he was 86 years old in 1789. He wrote a sermon uh, without a title. He, he never actually was able to preach that sermon uh, he died before he was actually able to, uh, to publicly preach that sermon. But he wrote a sermon in, in 1789. And uh, the text of the sermon was, was Jeremiah 8.22. And that scripture says, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? And listen to some of the words. It's going to be a little bit lengthy, but I want, you to, I want you to listen to what Wesley said. I think uh, this is going to be a little lengthy, but it's going to be extremely challenging, he said. He said this, Why has Christianity done so little even among us? He was talking about the early Methodists. Even among the Methodists. Who regards those solemn words, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Of the three rules which are laid down on his head in the Sermon on the, Ma- the Mammon of the Unrighteous, uh, you may find that, that many observe the first rule, namely, gain all you can. You may find a few that observe the second, save all you can. But how many have you found that observe the third rule, give all you can? Have you reason to believe that 500 of these are to be found among 50,000 Methodists? And yet nothing can be more plain than that all who observe the two rules without the third will be twofold more the children of hell than if they were ever before. Oh, that God would enable me once more, he continues, before I go hence and am no more seen, to lift up my voice like a trumpet to those who gain and save all they can, but they do not give all they can. Ye are the men, some of the chief men, who continually grieve the Holy Spirit of God and in a great measure stop His gracious influence from, des- from, a- from descending upon our assemblies. Many of your brethren, beloved of God, have not food to eat. They have not raiment to put on. They have not a place to where, to- where to lay their head. And why are they thus distressed? Because you impiously, unjustly, and cruelly detain them from your master and their lodges in their hands on purpose to supply their wants. 
See that poor member of Christ, pinched with hunger, shivering with cold, half naked. Meantime, you have plenty of this world's goods, of meat, drink, and apparel. In the name of God, what are you doing? He contends with even, he, he, he uh, continues with even more challenging words. For John Wesley, he measured the, um, the, the depth of a person's life and how much difference they made in the world. I told you the story last week how uh, he died with, with just a few coins in his pocket. The story is told even up into his 80s. Even up into his 80s, Mr. Wesley was often found all around uh, London, traipsing through the, the snow-covered sidewalks uh, in, in just a, a, a small overcoat, knocking on the doors of those early Methodists, asking for alms for those who were impoverished. Wesley understood. He understood the vital importance of not only earning all that we can and saving all we can, but more so the, vi- the, the, the imperative to give all we can so that others might come to know Jesus, our Lord. Would you bow with me? Oh God, many of us have come today already having prayed over what you've called us to give in the coming year. Some of us have not thought about it too much. We've been distracted by lives, and almost all of us here today, we're thinking about the upcoming Christmas season and all of the gifts that we're going to need to give and um, all of the, all the credit card bills that we're going to be facing here over the next couple of months, and we're just, we're just a little bit overwhelmed. We're not exactly sure some months how, how the ends are going to meet. And God, you've called us. We believe through the words of John Wesley and through the words of Scripture, you've called us to, to earn all that we can. You've called us to save all that we can But then you've also called us to give all that we can. To find contentment in our giving. To recognize that the the love of money is the root of of all kinds of, of, of evil. But you've called us to be rich in good works. Generous and ready to share. To store up for ourselves a, a good foundation for the future so that we might take hold of that which is truly life. Oh, God, bless us as we make our commitments, as we make these decisions. Come, Holy Spirit, speak into our hearts, speak into our lives. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.